Yo, what's up, you guys? Today I have with me Suzanne Wilson. Suzanne Wilson is an author, intuition educator, paranormal presenter, and evidential medium. She has participated in control scientific research with Dr. Gary Schwartz, who states that Suzanne's been one of the best. And Suzanne's a recurring guest on Coast to Coast AM with George Nori. And you can also watch her on Gaia TV, Amazon Films, and on her podcast, Carefree and Conscious. So Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joshua. It's really nice to see you again. I know, really nice to see you too. It's been a couple of years. So, you know, we'll just get right into it. Okay, so Suzanne, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, like what your life was like before this big wake-up call. And then, of course, please share with us your life-changing near-death experience. Well, to set the stage for you, I thought my life was going along really well. I had spent my childhood and my young adulthood just developing gifts that I knew that I had, but trying to do it in secret. And I'll tell you why. I wanted to fit in. When I was a child, I would get bullied because I couldn't keep my mouth shut about the things I saw. It would be lights around people that other people didn't see and spirits around people. And you just imagine being in first grade and you say to a kid, there's a man behind you and I think it's your dad. And, you know, they've lost their dad and they turn around hoping to see him. And, you know, this this child isn't abled in that way. So I would get knocked down in the playground. I got labeled crazy Susie. I even went to church camp and I had buck teeth and frizzy hair and saw crazy things and said crazy things. So crazy Susie kind of fit. <laughs> I didn't want to go to school because I, I didn't know how to handle the things that I saw. And so I started faking sick. And my mom talked to her dad and said, you got to talk to her. She's a good student. She's making good grades. But in, we've got to stop this not wanting to go to school now in grade school so she can graduate and go to college. And my so my maternal grandfather, granddad, he was a Presbyterian preacher and he took me aside and said, why don't you want to go to school? Like, let's just cut to the chase. And I said, because of the things I see. And I told him and to my surprise, he said, I see them, too. And that began a, a period of time in my childhood where I had a buddy. I had somebody I could talk to. I believe my grandfather was a very, well, I know he was very intuitive, but I believe he was a closeted medium himself. I would, as a child, go to the nursing homes with him and I would go to all the funerals that he presided at. I could go to the weddings if, if they let me. And I watched the colors change around people. I watched the spirit people attend their own funeral services. And I loved it. It was fun. When he passed, I was a teenager and I lost my one friend in all of this. And so then I, I really struggled in a, adulthood. I, I went to school. I got my bachelor's in management. I got a master's in um, public administration and public affairs policy. And I had a, a really good career going in academe. I was a director for a center for leadership at a university. I went into the public sector because I wanted money, 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 stuff, 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 and um, worked in human resources. And 
all that time, Joshua, as an adult, I was secretly going to mediumship development circle. I was going to seminars with teachers. I was getting past life regressions. I was really, you know, I was playing around and I would still see things around people, although not in a scary way. When I was a kid, I would see objectively, like you see a spirit, there's objective and subjective clairvoyance. And I need to explain this to people so they understand it for themselves when it happens to them. The object of clairvoyance is when you see the spirit or the spirit light or the aura as though it's an object in the room, like you could reach out and touch it. When it's subjective, it's up here in your mind's eye. It's like a flash. It's like a daydream. As a child, it was all objective. Okay. It was weird. As an adult, it was mostly subjective and I didn't want to lose it, but I wasn't proud of it. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to make money. I wanted my stock options. I was, by 2007, when the NDE happens, I was working full-time. I'm in the corporate world. I've got a great job, and I'm going to a PhD program on the weekends in human resources development through a university. And I thought, man, I'm sitting on top of the world. Uh, I'll go as far as I can on this corporate ladder, and then I'll step back and I'll go be an assistant professor somewhere with my PhD. Life is good. Uh, Cars, boats, houses. And then boom, I died. And that changes everything. And it's different for everyone. Now, here I want to say, you don't have to have a near-death experience to have what I call a wake-up call. Um, you can have something that just really grabs your attention. And maybe it's an epiphany. Maybe it's just a, wow, I need to reevaluate my life. I had to die for, <laughs> for the universe to get my attention. Because, you know, when when you're in a PhD program and you're working, Listen, it's like you never look up at the sky. You you just, uh, you, and I wasn't even doing my spiritual practices for that time. I was, there was no time. It's your, your head is down like this. You're either doing your job, going to meetings, or you're doing research, or you're writing. And it, I was in this kind of um, me, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve and to hell with everybody else type of mode, probably not the nicest person. I know I wasn't, but I had anaphylaxis. That's, that's what uh, stopped my breath, stopped my heart. And it's so weird. I get teased a lot because this happened in the doctor's office. And if you're going to die, that's like the best place in the world to die because they're going to revive you if they can. Um, And my voice gets a little shaky when I think about this every single time. It's like I hardly, sometimes I don't want to talk about it. I am because there's emotion with this, but I want to do it. Um, Is it when it, when it happened to me in 2007, I, really didn't know much about near-death experiences. And and when it's happening to you, you don't think that you died in that moment necessarily. Some do and some don't. I'm at the allergy specialist. 
I'm back for my second round of allergy tests. This time, they're taking the suspects, the, the things they think I might be allergic to from last time, and upping the dosage and you know pricking your arm in rows with different allergens to see the reaction in your skin. My reaction went off the chart this time, and I started to get very warm, very nauseated. And I said to the technician, I'm getting hot. I remember her saying something like, oh, maybe you're having a hot flash or I'll turn up the AC because it was in June. Uh, and I said, no, no, I don't feel well. And so then she, her eyes, I could tell she believed me. And she said, okay, I'll be right back. And she left me. She went to get help, but she left me. I'm alone. And I feel my heart just slowing down, but my breathing getting faster, like, cause I'm trying to breathe. And then the door bursts open and she has come back with another technician and two physicians. And one physician uh, is throwing open a cabinet. The other physician is uh, yelling out orders. And so there was a technician on each of my arms holding me sitting up on the exam table. And I remember the doctor saying, hold her up, hold her up. Don't let her lie down. Hold her up, hold her up. And then my throat honked like a goose. I I can't even recreate that sound for you. And one day I went on the internet years later and I looked for honking gooses and I still... It's just, it's beyond, it's so terrifying because it's coming from your throat and you're not doing it voluntarily. And then I felt my heart go down, down, down. And the noise stopped coming out of me. And the next thing I know, there's this pop. And it sounds kind of like when, if somebody was down the hall opening champagne and you heard it, uh, the cork pop. And I pop out behind my body and a little bit above. And I'm looking at this team of four and that are trying to work with me. The two technicians, one on either side, holding me up. I'm looking at the doctor preparing an injection and I'm looking on one at one on the phone doing 911, I guess I would find out later. And they look ugly to me. They're not even people from my perspective. They're cardboard cutouts with dead eyes. There's nothing to them. They look fake. And I thought it was odd. And then it dawns on me, I'm looking at the back of my head and the back of my body. And I did not feel any kind of connection to that body. I was just observing how it looked. Then it hits me, this is weird, but I feel great. And before I can think about what has happened and where am I going, I notice all these colors swirling and swirling and swirling all around, and they're beautiful. It's like the colors are not touching the living people in that exam room. The, and they're now slow. They're now moving like super slow motion. The cardboard cutout people 
the people that are actually saving my life didn't look like people anymore. They're just whatever. They're just not, not really animated. They move so slow. The colors are with me. I'm with the colors. Then I'm hearing music. And the music, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I'm a, I'm a musician. I can play several instruments. Piano is mainly my thing. But for those listening who are musical, these are all major in major keys, major chords. But the music reminded me of voices making instrument-like sound. And it kept going in crescendo, up, up, louder, and then it would back down. And so I remember thinking the colors and the music together are creating waves. I wanted to go to where the music came from. And then I felt arms around me. And I knew these arms to be my granddad, but I couldn't see him. He was standing behind me, but I knew it was him. And I was, uh, this this really gets to me because I wanted my best friend back, always. Still to this day, when I cross over, that's the first person I want to see. That's the first human being I want to see. I have pets. Um, I've got my dog, Baron, um, who crossed over young recently, and I want to see him. But this is the first person I still want to see, even though he died when I was a teenager. So here he is. Now, listen, Joshua. I've got everything I need. I feel great. There's beautiful music to go to. There's beautiful colors to be seen. And it doesn't look real good to go back into that body that wasn't in the best shape. And those people look ugly. They don't look like real people. Like it's, I think about this now and I think uh, my brain was probably, my mind, my consciousness was probably confused trying to filter, are they just avatars? And of course, with afterlife studies, I know that there's a part of us that's always with spirit and we project a part of our consciousness into the physical body. So I was just seeing like, these are meat suits and these people, why would I want to go back and be a meat suit again? Right. And this is just my opinion. This is my take. There was this weird voice, very like, um, uh, robotic that said your work has not started yet and I saw them put an injection in me in my arm and hold me up and I saw the door um, um, just like it felt like somebody just crashed through the door to that exam room and it was the EMT team and um, I know there was a defibrillator in somebody's hands and they were coming for me and now they are laying me down and I got back in the body like sort of like being hoovered back in and that hurt that was just unbelievable um years later I would have an erupted appendix and I tell you, this was like, this is like my chest was a big erupting appendix, my chest, my throat, my head. It's just awful. Um, and my first thought was, they screwed up. <laughs> this is not where I'm supposed to be. They screwed up. I wasn't even thinking about that voice that said your work 
hasn't started yet. When even thinking about that, just thinking, no, 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 no. This is this is not right. Um, where is my grandfather? And then um, I'm on a gurney, and I'm getting in an ambulance, and then I saw him while I'm lying in on the gurney looking up there's my grandfather floating in the ceiling of the ambulance looking down he he stayed all the way to the hospital which is not far stayed in the hospital with me that night and i knew things had changed what i what i first brought back was first off why didn't i get to stay and it's all about love and i wanted to hug everybody i didn't feel like being corporate I didn't feel like there were a lot of things that you have to do in a corporate job that you just, you know, you're hurting people's livelihood by firing them and just because you've got another high performer that you want to put in. And that used to never bother me and it bothered me now. So the, the, the original thing that I felt was it's all about love. And then I realized that the spirit people were around me all the time and I could see them objectively as though they're really there. I could see the colors around people and know what it meant. And it was crazy making. You don't, you can't live like that when there's really three people, living people in the room and you see 30 or 13, you just can't live like that. So I started to drink a lot to drown that out. As soon as I get home from work, I'd open a bottle of wine. And then later on, I would add a cocktail first and then the bottle of wine. And if I put the bottle of wine back in the fridge with even a few drops in it, I thought I'm doing okay. I didn't drink the whole bottle, but I tuned them out that way. Cause like I say, it was driving me absolutely mad and I didn't want that. And then I started thinking, Hey, wait a second wait a second, somebody, some jerk said to me, your work hasn't started yet. And then they let me go back. I'm working my tail off. I'm working full time. I have these degrees. I'm getting a PhD. I don't know how much harder I could possibly work. And, um, and I was just being a drunk. Basically I was, I was working, um, really doing the bare minimum. And then, drunk all night, drunk on the weekends to tune it out. And it worked. It worked for me. Some people will say, eh, drinking helps me tune in. It actually, what it's doing is it's, it's hurting your discernment. It It is lowering your, your guard. And for me, it worked to tune out. And finally, I went back to the teachers that I had secretly gone to, to learn how to tune in. And they taught me how to tune out and I could put the drink away. And now I'll go, you know, I've gone a year, I've gone months without even wanting a glass of wine or whatever at dinner. But then it was medicine. It was, and I'm not making excuses because I I was not a good, healthy, you know, functioning person. I was coping. So it's not a bed of roses all the time to have an NDE. It's an individual experience for each person. And you have to process it. You have to integrate it in your life. Years later now, I know because a teacher said to me, instead of running away, metaphorically, 
from the spirit people and the things you see, why don't you just stop and ask them what, what do they want? <laughs> I'm like, really, I can do that. You know, we're, we're more powerful than we think we are. And so once they did that, usually they just wanted to be seen. And so it got a lot easier. And I realized I like doing this. I like, and I've studied for so many years. I like studying. I like doing, and I got out of the corporate gig and this is what I do now. I, I, I mostly teach people, but I also stay in practice myself um, because uh, I start missing it if I don't do individual one-to-one readings for a while, or if I don't get up on platform and do a demonstration, I start missing it and I don't feel real good. So I think my, my real mission in life is just to, just like yours, like everybody listening, it's identify your unique gifts no matter what you do to pay the bills, that's one thing, but identify your gifts, hone them, leverage them, make your life better, make the lives better for those around you and help people you don't even know because we're all connected, we're all one. And my way meant quitting that job, quitting the PhD. Uh, I'm happy that I learned how to do research because it serves me well. I got what I needed out of it. Nothing's wasted. No, nothing's ever wasted. People say, oh, oh, I did this. I quit. Nothing's ever wasted. You'll use it all. And so that's where I am between 2007 and now I'm, I'm living what I teach. And that's, that's my story. Yeah. You're the real deal. Because I saw you in person. <laughs> so I think when I came in in Arizona a couple of years ago, I, I walked in while you were doing, you know, on platform. You were like in the middle of it because I think I was running a little bit late to the event. And I remember just watching you do your thing. I was like, yeah, she, she's a real deal. Because, you know, like for myself, I'm like a skeptical person. And so, you know, <laughs> I'll be like testing everything that you're saying. Is, oh, is that kind of too general, too broad? And I remember like you you said things that were just like, all right, that 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 has to be legit because that's just so out there and so specific. You yeah. Know? So um, I saw you, which is why you know I'm, I'm having you on the show, and you're someone that I, I deeply respect and very grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, just a couple of questions about your NDE. You know, was there? I'm sure it was an amazing experience, but was there any fear at all during the NDE, especially like when you saw the back of your head, where you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm dead." <laughs> you know, any fear? No, it was more like. Uh, relief and excitement. Relief, I don't feel bad and I can breathe. And then excitement, realizing I don't need to breathe. And okay. I'm going somewhere, I'm going to the music and I'm going with my favorite person, you know, from childhood. And right, right. it's there, there's an excitement and a, and a, uh, a need to get to something i didn't quite know what it was because i've always felt god is all around all of the time so i didn't feel like i needed to go see god i felt like i needed to go see the others and i needed to go to the music and be part of the music and make the music and uh the colors too being a lifelong clairvoyant 
I can't even name these colors. The the biggest crayon box that you could hand me <laughs> would never be able to create these colors. And so there's so much excitement. And we don't have a vocabulary to describe this, this in-between state. Was I in heaven? Absolutely not. No, I was in between. And if they hadn't had the proper injections in the doctor's office, I, I could have gone and that that cord of light that attaches me to the body could have snapped. But for some reason, I was meant to have a wake up call and not go. And in fact, when I'm in the ambulance, the EMT asked permission to get out my wallet and get my name because they didn't even have time to check with the doctor and ask me who should we call and all of that. And as he's getting my wallet, he goes, Suzanne Wilson, he goes, you know, just the other day, we lost someone to anaphylaxis. You were in a doctor's office. You're so lucky. You should play the lottery. And <laughs> I remember thinking about <laughs> my granddad floating, you know, in, in the ambulance with me. And I'm thinking, I think I just did. How did your granddad look like? Like what age did he appear to be? He looked in his 40s and he had just suddenly dropped dead at 56. Sudden congestive heart failure with no known heart problems before that. He looked in his 40s and which would have been my childhood, but it also was sort of the apex of his career with, you know, the church that he wanted and the little uh, manse right across the street, the house where the, the church provides and loved and lots of friends. And he, the guy, I mean, he worked like you wouldn't believe. And you know what that's like a, a life of service. You're working all the time, seven days a week. You never say no. You never let anybody down. I think that probably contributed to his heart attack. But then, you know, you go to the other side when you're meant to go to the other side. So I, I think he's probably still doing work <laughs> on the other side because I don't yeah. see him a lot. You said he was a preacher, right? Like a mm -hmm. like a pastor? What, mm -hmm. And you were saying that he had similar abilities as like what you were having when you were a child. Did he operate in that while he was a preacher? Because no, no, no. Huh. That, but he he did marriage counseling, family counseling, and he, you know, I know he used his intuition. He would tell me something was about to happen and it would go that way. Okay. And he would tell me that uh, he believed in reincarnation too. He, him, he did hypnosis. He hypnotized my mom for pain management through all three of her labors and deliveries. She never had any kind of drugs because her dad hypnotized her for pain management for labor. And he did some past life regressions, but I'm sure he had to be real choosy, but he got regressed himself. Uh, it was recorded in an old real to real recorder in the seventies. And he spoke an ancient Inuit dialogue. We didn't know what it was. It had to be sent to a university. And after a long time, they reported back. Yeah, it's, it's ancient Eskimo. It's an Inuit language. How would he wow. know? He didn't. And so, he, you know, he sought evidence, but he also said that, you know, these are gifts from God. And someday I would figure out what to do 
and, you know, just protect the gifts that I have. Everybody has gifts. So he never, like, he didn't want to exalt either one of us. He didn't exalt himself because he's a minister. He had a PhD in metaphysical sciences. So he was, he was scholarly and he didn't like put himself above others. And he didn't want me to do that either. So to this day, you know, I struggle with, I don't want to be egotistical. Like, I don't want to, oh, I've got to go grab that um, (laughs) speaking spot and get more followers or whatever. It's like, I I, I struggle with pushing myself out there. um, And I see others that they just want to, how can I be more famous and this and that? And I'm like, okay, that's your thing. But I just wasn't raised that way. But by the same token, I was raised that there's good in everyone. So I've also had um, issues with betrayal because you're going to have betrayal in life and in business and personal matters and financial and business and whatever. And so in a way I've been a little too loving and trusting in my life, but I still learn the same lessons. We're all still getting, you know, the same 1000 soul lessons. They're just not in the same order. So he helped me a lot. He helped me feel normal he helped me have a context that the gifts of, of gifts of the spirit. And he said, but there's one great master and that's Jesus. And there is no one that can do exactly what Jesus does. He wants us to emulate him. And when he says that there are greater things that we can do, he's inspiring us, not telling us to be messiahs. And so I think I got real grounded and centered because of that. And I'm open-minded, but I want proof. I mean, I've submitted myself, like you said, in the intro to being tested in double blind, triple blind studies in a university setting with, with a probably the best known person that does that. Um, only because I want there to be credibility, but I also want people to know that everybody can connect with their own beloved people and pets who are in spirit with some, a little bit of training and practices that you don't have to go to somebody like me to do it. I I really would like to see the mediums become teachers, teaching other people how to make their own direct connection. And a lot of them are. I mean, you definitely were seeing stuff since you were like a child, you even saw it objectively, right? And that's why you were teased because you were seeing people like with your eyes open. Um, And then after your NDE, it kind of went like several notches up, (laughs) you know? But when yeah. you were a child, that was it something that you were born with, or was it something that where it was like triggered by some sort of event in your life as a child? Do you think? Man, uh, I've had a thought that maybe when I had an allergic reaction as a child, I, when ah. I had chicken pox, okay. they gave me penicillin, and I was in the hospital with that one. But I don't remember anything happening to me in terms of NDEs. I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, All I can tell you is just being, going to school. uh, I started out in Head Start, which is like the year before kindergarten and it's for low income kids, the Head Start program. I don't know if it's, it's probably still around, but it helps prepare low income children for kindergarten and gives you a meal and gives you a place to play and talk about ABCs and all of that and just get socialized. And I was in that program 
And I remember just even the very beginning of that having trouble at school uh, because I was shy. I would hide in behind toys and, you know, like they had this big rocking horse thing where two kids could sit on one side, two kids on the other, and it would rock, rock, rock. And they'd turn it, they'd flip it up against the wall when class started. So I always wanted to get there early and play. When they flipped it up against the wall and it was time for classes to start, I hid behind it because I was seeing so much stuff and I got marked absent. And then when it was time to eat, I came out because I was hungry and I got in trouble. And so my mom's having to answer, why is she hiding? And she can't, she can't say it's because she's seeing stuff, but I would always tell her I didn't hide what I could see from family. I'd always tell her, I remember seeing somebody and saying, you know, their colors are, don't look right and something's wrong. And mama say, oh yes, you know, uh, Mr. So-and-so has cancer. And um, it was just accepted in the immediate family. But I, so I know the year before kindergarten, it was super strong. I can tell you that. Probably got it from grandpa. <laughs> yeah. It really seems like it. And I know on um, my maternal um, grandmother, she and her family comes from Ireland. And my maternal grandmother's sister passed almost 100 years old uh, not too long ago. Wow. And I would go see her in the nursing home outside of Nashville. And she'd go, she lit their little crooked finger to always say, you see things I know you do. <laughs> and they, they, they called me the town witch. Because I do things is very far from a witch. Very, very, um, very, very sweet lady. But uh, yeah, it's, there's some hereditary component, I'm sure, but I wasn't going to do much with this, Joshua. I wasn't. I just, something had to really shake me up and break me open and almost make me an alcoholic or, or you know, just, I had to totally break open to let all the light in, I guess, and not make it a curiosity, not make the gifts that I had into a secret, almost a shameful things that I could do. Like, don't tell anyone, but. I can do this, or I know that. And um, shame is not healthy in any way, but it certainly was robbing me of some important and and fun stuff I could do. This this is fun work. It's a yeah. it's a great responsibility, yeah. and it's you don't get paid sick days, and you can't do much of it. I mean, it just wears you out. You can't work very many hours a day or very many days a week at it. But um, we're doing what we have to do in our lives. And I've even worked in a, I went from that wonderful um, director job into just working in a call center and doing readings because I, you lose that salary, you lose that big salary, you lose that future. But to me, it was worth it. Yeah. So when you were mentioning like the after effects, so to speak, like after the event happened, you started seeing them around you, you try to tune them out, sort of drinking and this, doing this and that, but you started to kind of just find out that they wanted to be acknowledged or be seen is like, is that 
the main reason or were there any other reasons? Because I've heard your other interviews where they're like knocking on the door when you're in the bathroom or something like that. Um, like what are any other reasons that you've discovered of why you were seeing them so much other than just wanting yeah, to be seen? For sure. I mean, it it's and it was really invasive. You know, I mean, I'm driving a car and I feel somebody trying to touch the wheel and they can't really do anything with the wheel but it's like turn this way, turn this way. <laughs> jesus jesus like, take the wheel <laughs> yes please <laughs> i don't know who she is yeah it's it there's it was mainly just there's a light that some of us project when we're open and it, it's almost like we're pulsating some frequency where they know they maybe can start a conversation. So there's many reasons that I heard for reaching out to me. And to be seen was a big one, but also to hear the story of what happened or even more heart touching would be, this is what I want to tell my family here. This is what I wish I had said. This is what I wish I had done. And I started to realize you just don't want to leave this physical life with anything undone. You don't want to leave with some big feud still going that you have to work out later on the other side of life. And then sometimes there were just folks who did not know that their body had died and they're sort of going through the same loop. Um, I can tell you in the grocery store, I've seen even to just the other day, I've seen people thinking they're, they're grocery shopping and they're spirit people. And I'm thinking, I don't know, did they pass driving home from the store or what is it? Hotels are a big deal because there are people that go to hotels and, you know, overdose or they go there to die by suicide because they don't want to do it at home. They'd rather be found by the, the cleaning staff there. And I just try to talk to them because I don't have like this specialty of helping souls cross over. I would just say, um, you know, you don't have a body to go back to. And there are a lot of people waiting for you. So look for that light and go into that light. And a few times I could see them do that. But most of the time I'd be like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or I'll think about it. And I don't want people hearing this to think, oh, is my loved one stuck somewhere? It's very rare. I mean, when you think about the billions of people who have lived, um, it, it is really, really rare. But for them, time passes faster, differently from what we're used to. And my guides, my team that's around me tells me they nearly always end up in the light at some point. They all, it's, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And then other times also, they wanted to comment about the things going on in the world. So there's intelligent spirits that have crossed over, but come back and see what's going on. Like there was a lot of um, house building going on around where I lived after the NDE. And there was this couple in spirit, I'd be out walking my dogs and they'd come up and comment about the house being built or the side yard set back or something like that. And I'm like, oh my God, 
had this nice little German couple. And I thought, why do they care? Uh, it was something they did together. They would, you know, walk around, hold hands, or they'd go drive around and look at houses. And I actually got to ask, where do you live? Oh, we have a really nice place, blah, blah. So they're all settled in in heaven, but they're coming back because there was a part of earth that was like their heaven too. And that's lovely, but I just didn't want it going on 24 seven in my face and disrupting my life. Yeah. So when you were talking about, uh, like how you were in a hospital room and then you saw everybody like flat and like, was it with like black eyes or dead eyes or something like that? Yeah. Right. Um, for me, that was like a first to hear that. Cause you, typically, you know, in the NDE stories, they'll just, they'll see spirits or light beings, angels, but they'll see, you know, the hospital people, the doctors, surgeons, it's like normal. So you kind of answered the question already because I didn't hear that answer in another interview that you did, but you were saying it was more of like a, like a projection of your mind or something like, is it, is it uh, like a filtering? That I, I want to get into that because I, I don't think I've, you know, any, it's been dug into yet, but to me, it felt like a distinction between one plane of existence and another. It it was almost like it's okay to step out of the body because where you just were in that body is the dream. Where you are now, you are waking up. And it wasn't that the two doctors and the two technicians turned into flat cardboard cutouts with dead eyes, dead looking eyes, they didn't turn into that. My perception was trying to tell me you're going someplace that is perhaps more real. And I think because I had seen so many things lifelong and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so open to perception that maybe someone else would have just seen the people as people, um, but I am mm -hmm. so used to all my life seeing the reality of the people. And I will see it in a couple different ways. I'll see it as the colors around them. And these colors can be dark and stormy or muddy, which is some kind of um, dis-ease or anger, or you know they're up to no good in their life or whatever, or they can be vibrant and healthy and each color developed a meaning for me over time. But I also can see a face transfigure or eyes transfigure. And so, you know, when I was dating years ago as a young person, I, I, I didn't make a lot of mistakes and end up with, you know, a bad person or, you know, something like that, because I could look at their face and see what is this person, you know, are they, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing. So I've always been able to see that, see some truth, my truth, at least in some way. And so it's almost like, I'm so happy to dig into this, because um, I don't think I ever have been invited to, but it's it's almost like a way, a filter for me to also make me comfortable with just letting go. Like now you can see that this isn't all of your reality. 
it's going to fade away their cardboard cutouts. We can put them away and we can move. Now, it would have been very interesting, Joshua, if I had a loved one in that room. Yeah. You know, I think because there's a love bond, it it would have filtered differently for me or would have appeared different. It's also some people talk about um, how those in, in a scene are not real. They're just background characters. Yeah. And so I've been asked that, too. And I'm like, no, these these are two real physicians with real MDs, and these are two real technicians. And I went back there uh, one more time and and talked with all of them. They're real people. It wasn't just a setup or a scene. Um, you told them what but happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went back. I had to debrief with this. I think they were afraid they were going to be sued or something because um, they were kind of uptight about it, but glad to see me. And one of the technicians, I remember, hugged me and just held on to me so tight. She's like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we didn't lose you. Um, but the doctors were like, they were stressing to me about how rare this happens. I did an interview recently and, and someone DM'd me and said, same thing happened to me my second time at the allergy specialist's office. Um, but I really think it goes back to the near-death experience is individual. There are commonalities. There's a whole list of commonalities that the researchers have, but not everybody has every commonality. Not everybody, I, I didn't get to a tunnel. Uh, I didn't have one big, big white light. I had colors. So, um, but I also had very a very compressed experience where, you know, probably a minute, Although a lot happens in that minute because that minute was different for me. I was able to see how slow earth time is in that instance, not necessarily. I can't extrapolate that to how space time works, although it's an interesting topic. But I, for me in that instant, um, it was like that minute felt like 10 or 15 minutes, you know, so... I think it's just our consciousness is going to make us as comfortable as possible with death and the, the people and the, the um, non-human intelligent beings around us, such, such as the angels and those whose job it is to assist with our crossing. We may not even, we may or may not see them in that process, depending on how far we get along in the process of death. But they're there and they're going to make sure we're as comfortable as possible. Like I, I hear all the time from spirits who are giving excellent evidence and they're a really good quality communicators. And they'll say, wow, even though that truck really smashed my car and I was just just my body was destroyed, I was watching it from somewhere else. You know, I, I was popped out of that body before anything happened. And it wasn't because it happened so fast. They were already out and and just kind of gazing back. So they didn't feel the pain wow. and the destruction of the physical. They just felt good. I cannot wait to have you on Carefree and Conscious with me, which oh, is because yeah. I've got a lot of things I want to ask you. Oh, and, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. As a, as a theologian, it's very, very 
spiritual and very gifted and a teacher. You know, you're on a mission too. Um, but I don't want people to think, oh, it's easy for her to say she saved up money and quit her job or whatever. You don't have to quit what you're doing. If you're an engineer or you're a nurse or a teacher or you're you're holding the home together and making it a, a wonderful place, you don't have to walk away from anything to be of service to yourself, your family and others. It's It really is a it's sort of like a monitoring of thoughts, words, and actions to align with compassion, align with love. And some days you're going to stink at it. And then there'll be a series of days in a row where you're like, yeah, things are, are going great. And when people say gratitude is important, it really is. I mean, yeah. it took me years to be grateful for this near-death experience because I resented everything I had to go through afterwards. And I resented being sent back and told I wasn't working, you know, wasn't doing the work. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I was depressed and um, like a reject or something. And um, it was hard to totally change my life. Um, but I'm glad and I'm not changing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trade any of these experiences but that's my path each person has theirs you don't have to have a near-death experience to wake up well thankfully you did come back uh, my question is um did you have a choice like would it be possible that if you said you're, you didn't start yet suzanne your work's not barely started go back what if you said I, no you know i it's it's really odd and i'm glad you bring that up again about a choice for the longest time, I had put that out of my mind about that robotic voice telling me I hadn't started my work. I had put it out of my mind. I had dismissed it. I thought about it in the hospital bed after, immediately afterwards and just thought, well, that's not right. I'm working really hard. I really didn't think about it. And it was a, it was a rejection from me because I wasn't ready to hear it. And so I really feel like I'm, I, I was not, not only was I not asked, do you want to go back? Um, I think I was neutral about staying or going back. I wanted to be with my granddad for sure. And I wanted to go to that music, but I had no fear. I had no choice. I had no um, reasoning abilities in that moment. I just knew I was in, I felt like I was in the right reality. If I'd been asked, I would have said, no, I don't want to go back. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's 2007. So I'm thinking back, who was I, you know, what would I have said? You'd have to be an idiot. <laughs> I don't really think too hard about this. I just think you feel perfect you feel tremendous love and you know, you're going somewhere with beauty. Uh, you know, you're going with somebody that you've missed for years. Yeah. Why would you want to go back? And then that was part of the depression I had is why wasn't I given a choice? I'm wholesalely rejected from going on to heaven. And, um, 
but that's a little painful to think about. Now I understand and I'm I'm very, very grateful because I don't want to go to the other side uh, all these years later and find out I didn't even do, you know, like the number one thing on my checklist as a soul because, you know, we have some life themes that we come here with. I don't feel like everything's pre-planned because we have tremendous free will. We get choices, but we have a life theme. And for every single person, part of the life theme is using your your gifts to make your life better and the world better. Um, But yeah, it would have been interesting if I'd been asked, do you want to go back? Because I'd been screaming and yelling, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, when I interview these people about the NDEs, they're always given or told those words, no, no, you got to go back. But I always thought like, what if you just kept fighting and saying, no, I don't want to go back. (laughs) You know, eventually, would you just stay there? I would have, have, but man, um, it would have been not the best decision. Right, right. And I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad you came back, right, to share the message and your purpose, your plan, uh, your soul's purpose, as you say. Um, As we come to an end, you know, is there, you've already shared a lot of encouraging things, but is there anything you'd want to, last thing you'd want to share with our viewers, any more words of encouragement for our our listeners? Yes, yes, of course. I, I and it's hard to narrow down sometimes. <laughs> but I appreciate the opportunity. There is war and unrest in the world, and uh, many people are DMing me and inboxing me about, you know, are we coming to the end of times? And is this just about a shift in our reality? And I'm very hopeful and optimistic about our future i even though it's it it is it is just plain heartbreaking to see all the lives lost and all the horrific violence that has gone on is going on and i can say to you that we have a generation on earth now um, people around 20 years old 25 years old and younger that are coming here sort of I call it pre-wired to know that this life is not all that there is, that this is a stepping stone to other dimensions, other lives, other places like, oh yeah, I know there's an afterlife. They're like, oh yeah, of course I have intuition. And um, I don't even have um, loved ones in spirit I want to talk to. I just want to know how I can get the most out of this life and make this world better. And I wouldn't say they're going to save us, but they're going to sort of restructure and reprioritize this earth and humanity. And so, yes, we're going to have time of strife and trouble, but it's a cycle that we're going through right now. Focus, if you can, on what is positive. While you send prayers, you can you can ask to send warrior angels of light to the war zones, to those who fight so that the light illuminates everything for them. They can make choices that are as peaceful and caring as possible. And then don't worry about what's going on in the rest of the world. Send your love, send your light, and then focus on your gifts here and know that you're part of something 
much bigger, and that's the unity. That's the oneness. And the unity, the oneness is going to prevail. Awesome. Great message. Great message. So what's next for you, Suzanne? You got any new well, books coming out? I have two, and I don't have um, release dates for you yet, but a one focuses on guides and one focuses on mediumship. Okay. So, like a uh, practical how-to kind of thing yes. or story? Yeah. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a little ADD on that <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know what it, that's like. But yeah, 2024 will be a really interesting year and a productive year. So I look forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, let us know when that's out. I definitely want to have you come on for that. What is the best way that uh, our viewers can reach you? Like, what's Just your the words carefree media? Okay. And, um, I'm on all social media too. You're everywhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. you are. Instagram, TikTok? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm not even really on TikTok. Okay. There I you go. A lot there, but I've done it on Intuition Educator because that's where people really want to learn about how to use and develop their own intuitive gifts. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'll have your links in the show notes. You know, you guys got to check out Suzanne's work. You know, you'll learn a lot from, you know, from her. Suzanne, I respect you a lot and I feel honored that you're on the show. Um, you know, I don't just see the wisdom in you. You're like a wealth of information because you just could talk about so many things, but I see your heart in a lot of these things. And thank I just want to thank you for being a service to not just people here, but, you know, even those on the other side <laughs> on the veil. Right? I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, yeah. yours as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Suzanne, so much for what you're doing. And I'm looking forward once again for you coming back on the show. So thank you. I'll be honored. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Joshua. Awesome. All righty, guys. So once again, thanks for watching. Till next time, we're out. Peace.